Thank you for listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, the best ways are to leave a five-star review and subscribe on your favorite platform. And follow us on Twitter or Instagram at lunchpailguys underscore. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 197th episode of the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. I'm not even sure what to call these anymore. It's not week. It's not episode. <laughs> Um, iteration recording session yeah recording recording session session, i don't know (laughs) um it's just myself lucas and jared today no wyatt no aiden but we've still got a good episode for you as usual let's start with the news that we missed uh it's been a couple weeks since our last episode firstly on the nba front uh there was a scuffle at the start of the timberwolves warriors game uh some people Mm -hmm. got uh, physical Draymond got so physical that he put Gobert in a headlock and then <laughs> held it for a while. It was very strange. He really doesn't like Gobert. Uh, and now Draymond's yeah. been suspended for five games after that, which I thought was not enough, but I yeah. digress. Yeah. Choking somebody on the court is crazy. Like that's that is the next crazy. Level. Five games also seems kind of insufficient, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was happy. I'm done with Draymond. I'm done. Yeah, with it. I'm done I mean, with this stuff. Yeah, especially since the Warriors are not very good anymore at this point. I think that <laughs> I think I think that when you do that kind of stuff when your team is winning, it can you know, it can be you contribute it to like, oh, it's helping the team, like it, like you need that kind of guy on your team. But when you're losing, I don't know, it just doesn't have the same It's just annoying. <laughs> energy. It's just <laughs> annoying, yeah. 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 Um Okay. Uh moving on to the NFL. Um, I don't even remember what exactly was meant by this. There was there was the whole Josh Dobbs came to the Vikings and has looked really well, uh, really good. Uh, meanwhile, the Jets didn't make a move for any quarterback after Aaron Rodgers went down. Zach Wilson has not looked good, so that was just kind of a funny thing that we wanted to highlight. I guess do any of you have thoughts on that? I guess the thing I wanted to highlight is that like the I feel like the Jets kind of mismanaged this situation. That if Rodgers is like I'm trying to come back for the playoffs. Why don't you go trade for like a competent quarterback when your team is clearly good enough to overcome him in a lot of instances, you know what I mean? But you can't but the defense, you know, can only overcome so much. You know what I mean? Right. So I, yeah. I feel like they should have done what the Vikings did where they what were the what was the record of for the Vikings when Cousins got hurt? They must have been like what, three and four and four, maybe? Uh, yeah. Four. They were either five hundred or one game below five hundred. Yeah. Know. Yeah. And then they were like, We're just gonna go for it with Josh Jobs and that's I think that's paying more dividends. Now, like, Justin Jefferson might come back instead of, like, oh, let's just shove him for the full season sort of deal, which I don't know. Maybe maybe they should have tanked. I don't, like, you can have your opinions on that, but they were already going on a win streak, so I don't think that was ever on the table. And same with the Jets. They've won yeah, too many games now where they could tank. You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, Bart, it has panned out very well for the Vikings, I feel like, at this point. Yeah, I don't I, know, like, what your thoughts are on them going forward past this stretch of easier games, but... Do you think with Dobbs they can actually contend at all? I don't know about contend, but I definitely think they can win a playoff game. Uh, they are that good. But it's funny because they weren't even trying to play him. They, like It was supposed to be Jaron Hall after the trade. <laughs> and now this like magical story has only happened because Hall got hurt. But yeah, I think they can win a yeah. playoff game. But I don't, I, don't think, I don't think they're quite good enough to win it all. But I guess yeah. we can talk about that in our power rankings. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, okay. Uh, also, there have been some tough quarterback injuries. Uh, in addition to Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins also obviously out for the year. We now have two new names, which is Joe Burrow and Deshaun Watson. So a tough year for the league as far as quarterbacks going out. Um, I think mm-hmm. we're probably yeah we're probably not too high on the Bengals now, but I guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, oh Lucas, did you have something? I was gonna say the AFC North, I guess then right now is uh, just crazy stack. I feel like every team is at or above five hundred at this point. Mm-hmm. I think, and then I think that's why I'm even lower on the Bengals at this point mm-hmm. because yeah, and the Steelers have worked their magic as they always do every year and are somehow good. Mike Tomlin is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna Tom. I've heard people say it, like they're gonna Tomlin their way to the playoffs. Or <laughs> they're just not good. <laughs> Somehow gonna make it to the playoffs. Yeah. Okay, and then lastly, we've got some some college football news that we missed. Uh, Heisman odds have finally look more reasonable. Jared, I know you have some thoughts on this. Okay, so entering the game against Penn State, mm-hmm. JJ McCarthy still somehow had the third best odds entering that week. And he'd only thrown like 18 touchdowns um, at that point. So I'm like, how is this guy in the Heisman? That's Sam Hartman level numbers. And we know that Sam Hartman like shouldn't be in the Heisman level race, right? And then in that mm-hmm. game, he threw eight passes. in their, So in their toughest game to date, Michigan said, we, we only need him to throw eight times to win. Like, that's not a Heisman. Come on. And the, the mm-hmm. luckily, like, the odds have finally reflected that. We're like Bonix, Michael Penix. Junior, Jaden Daniels, and I think Marvin Harrison Jr. are the top four now. At least those are the guys getting the most buzz. I'm pretty sure those are the top four, but JJ McCarthy f- fell off. And like his only argument that really he had, where I was like, I see it, was efficiency because he's throwing 73.8% completion percentage. But Bo Nix is literally first in the country in that stat and has almost twice as many touchdowns as him. So I'm like, there's no world where JJ McCarthy should win the Heisman. And there's finally looks sane in that way. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Reason in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I think my, my, if I were a voter and like the voting and the season ended today, voting into today, I would pick Bo Nix personally, but I'm a West Coaster. Just so. Yeah. Gotta take out <laughs> that West Coast bias. Out of exactly. The, or, I guess eliminate the West Coast bias by, you know, putting all your support behind Bo. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, and then lastly, I think also Jared, you're probably the one who wants to talk about this. What what are these what are these chaotic scenarios that would make the the football committee have a tough time at the playoff? We're like just got, we're going down to a time where the top like eight teams legitimately have a path to the playoff, and the committee if like they all win out if or certain certain things happen, the committee is going to actually have to make tough choices. So imagine if this happens. Um, whoever wins the Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan is undefeated, right? So they're like the number one, or they're one of the seeds. Florida State goes undefeated. They're power five undefeated. They have to get in. So there's two spots. Washington goes undefeated. So they're power five undefeated, and they're already ranked fifth, right? So it's not like a Pac-12 is weak or anything like that. And they would have beat Oregon twice. That's really good. So we have the Big Ten champion, Florida State, and then Washington in. And then imagine if Bama beats Georgia in the SEC championship and then Texas is a 12-1 and Big 12 champion. By logic, the SEC should be left out of the playoffs because Texas beat Bama earlier this year, right? But I don't know if the committee would actually do that, to be honest. I think, like, would the committee actually leave the SEC out? I find it so hard to believe, even though they should. 
by their metrics, the SEC should be left out in that scenario. I just don't know if that would happen. And again, even imagine this. Let's say Florida State and Big Ten are undefeated again. And then we have 12-1 Bama, 12-1 Georgia, 12-1 Texas, 12-1 Oregon, 12-1 Washington. Who would get left out in that scenario? I think Oregon would probably get left out in that scenario, which again, I think would be so unfair, but I get it. That one you can make the case, but mm-hmm. I can, Joel Klatt's been on this, yeah. that like you, he can already see that like the committee's starting the narrative of hyping up Bama to where if they win, they'd be like, mm-hmm. we can't leave them out of the playoffs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That We can already see that happening. And I, I would just be really interested to see in the last year of the 14 playoff, like what the committee would do. They already don't really have any credibility. So, I mean, it would be completely shredded. Maybe they don't care about that at this point. I don't know, mm-hmm. but I think it'd be interesting. My other West Coast take I just want to say is I think Oregon legitimately is a top three team in the country. I think Georgia, Michigan, and Oregon are the three, the three best teams in the country. Okay. Yeah, that's it. How many how many games are left in the regular season? One more. One. Oh, that's it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're like we're, by fast. we're pretty close to that. Like one of those scenarios becoming reality. There aren't mm-hmm. games mm-hmm. Yeah, we're really close. Yeah, we're really close. That's why I brought it up because it'd be interesting if that happened. Okay, well, let's stay in the vein of college football here. Obviously, there's been some major news uh, recently with Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan uh, sign-stealing stuff. Um, Harbaugh and the University of Michigan finally accepted his three-game suspension, which was assigned by the Big Ten Conference, uh, which means he'll be eligible to coach again in the Big Ten Championship game if Michigan makes it. So let's start with you on this one, Jared. Uh, what do you think that this suspension and the way that it happened says about the NCAA as an institution? Well, it shows the NCAA has literally no reason to exist anymore or no function at all and no reason to exist. And it's one of the most corrupt and unfair institutions standing on in America, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, honestly, <laughs> certainly in sports. I mean, if the conferences can now dish out punishments, then seriously, what is mm-hmm. left for the NCAA to do? There's nothing left for them to do. That's the last thing they were doing was policing, like recruiting violations. Um, so what, basically mm-hmm. what they were doing was policing, recruiting violations, stealing money from athletes, name, image, and likeness, or not letting them have it, That's or punishing them for it, and negotiating TV contracts. Like that's really what they were – that was like when they were their most powerful, let's say. Lucas sent me this really interesting video about the history of the Big 12 Conference. And back in 1984, I believe – the NCAA went to court um, against, I think, Oklahoma over who had the right to negotiate TV contracts. The Supreme Court ruled that the schools and conferences could do that. So the NCAA is not needed for TV contracts anymore at that point. Then obviously this de- decade, the Supreme Court again ruled against the NCAA and says, you know what? Athletes can profit off their name, image, and likeness. And now we see, so the last thing they had to do was dishing out penalties. And now that the big, the big 10 conference just did it themselves shows that like, seriously, what do we need the NCAA for anymore at this point? Also, the way that NCAA dishes out penalties is just so absurd. They vacate wins. I'm saying that in air, quote, air quotes, which is basically telling us to pretend that wins never existed. That like things that we have video evidence of, internet evidence of just never existed. Vacate Heisman's, which is so dumb. Everybody knows Reggie Bush won the Heisman. And it's not like the violation that USC got caught for was something that affected like sign stealing. It wasn't sign stealing, for example. It was just like getting him to USC. So I think that's kind of bogus. And then even worse, they reduced scholarships, 
which a reduction in scholarship is eliminating education for athletes that would have got it otherwise. So the NCAA is clearly, like just objectively, a net negative, I think, on college sports. At least on the Power Five, I'll say that. And and the Big Ten, like, all the conferences have shown that they can do better what the NCAA was doing anyway. So, for example, in this punishment scenario, the Big Ten literally opened an investigation and finished it in the matter of weeks and is already dishing out a punishment in the same season that the violations occurred so it is punishing the team that did the misdeeds, which is the way it should be. Um, and it shows that the NCAA does not need to take this long with investigations. So remember, for example, that Jim Harbaugh served a three-game suspension at the start of the season? That was literally not even imposed by the NCAA. That was a self-imposed um, three-game suspension from Michigan. And the NCAA literally has not even finished that investigation where he was the one that he was suspended for that Michigan suspended him for at the start of the season. The NCAA hasn't even finished that investigation. That's expected to conclude in 2024. And the recruiting violations that they're investigating him for happened in 2020. And the investigation started in January, 2023. The big 10 did it in three weeks. I don't understand like what the NCAA has like no reason to exist. The only reason it probably has power. I don't know. I didn't go into the history too much. The only reason it probably has power is because, is because the schools gave it power, right? I would assume. It's not like they have a, some mm-hmm. legal U.S. government, like, legal thing over it. I doubt it. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they would. So, yeah. I mean, there's it, the Supreme Court consistently rules against it. So, literally, there's just – the NCAA is, just infuriates me. I think it's one of the most corrupt institutions in sports and the conferences. Mm-hmm. Now that if the conferences are taking over penalty – and you can argue, you can argue, I guess, about like how fair that penalty was, but I think overall they did a much better job than what the NCAA would do. Is they punished the team in the season that the violations occurred, mostly punished the coach. You know, I guess they're not like mm-hmm. saying you can't compete in the Big Ten championship or anything like that. They're punishing the coach, the person that should be responsible for it. They wrapped it up in three weeks. Like, it's just, and that's the way it should be. I think it's the NCAA is just a, such a fraud of an institution, and like is not needed in Power 5 football anymore. Yeah. And I think that there's to some extent the NCAA recognizes this. So we actually, I took a sports law class in the spring at Temple. And they, I mean, one, like you mentioned, Jared, the Supreme Court always rules against the NCAA because they see it as a monopoly. So under like the Sherman Antitrust Act, like anytime something is challenged in court, like, no, this is unfair competition. This is unfair competition, which to some extent is true. And so like the NCAA recognized this. They completely like rewrote their constitution in order to like streamline, uh, you know the the process for sanctions and stuff like that. But it's still just so like ridiculously over complex, mm-hmm. and like there's no like clear lines for like what is and what isn't. So like wonder one of the sort of things that the schools have to abide by. Um, so all it says like all covered persons in schools must ab- up like abide by general principles of honesty, sportsmanship, and the honor and dignity of fair play. Um, that's like bylaw 10.1 of the NCAA. And that's under the just the law, or the I guess the part of the NCAA constitution under which mo- a lot of the decisions are made. And it's just so vague and unspecific. And then there's so much like debate and litigation over, you know, what does that mean? What does honor and dignity of fair play mean? And then there's three tiers of violations and there's like no hard lines between like what's a tier one, what's a tier two, what's a tier three. 
and there's an inconsistency in that like the coach can be given a level one violation and a player can be given a level two violation and a school can be given level three violation. So there's just like all this unnecessary complexity in it. And then, like you said, Jared, the penalties are meaningless. And so I think that like you go through like this year, it, like I think the issue with the NCAA and like the infraction process is that it's set up like a whole court system and a whole court <laughs> system takes years and years and years to process cases and stuff like that and you end up with these results that at the end don't matter and so based on all that the ncaa recognizes this and try to like streamline it they but it's so minimal what they've done i think it's for appeals and stuff like that um like the appeal time is cut down like they have to be heard quicker and there's fewer requirements and stuff like that but yeah i mean i think it's just gotten over sort of like over bureaucratized at this point and that bureaucracy has created a lot of corruption and then it just, I don't know, they just can't do what they need to do. And the conferences are stepping in in their place. And I think within 10 or 15 years, I wouldn't be surprised if there was the equivalent of what there was in like the in, in the European soccer with like a super league where the, the two or three big conferences just sort of broke away from football and formed their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say that I was reading some like some interview with Mark Emmert and he was talking because mm-hmm. like the NCAA was created back in like 1910 or something like that. And it was mm-hmm. originally there to uh, like Teddy Roosevelt apparently wanted schools to focus on preventing injuries in, in football. And so that mm-hmm. was like it, that, that was the first reason for the organization. And so mm-hmm. Mark Emmert talked a few years ago about how, he, yeah, like they know that this is like an outdated system and the entire purpose of like the entire sports landscape basically has changed so much in a century obviously that mm-hmm. they really need to update it but like yeah i mean it's so bureaucratized now that even just updating it would take a long time right but it's it is interesting to yeah. know that they like recognize that i mean he's not he's not the president anymore i realize but yeah mm. um i also wanted to say though because we, we're talking a lot about like football right but the ncaa is i still think useful outside of the realm of football right so i just want to make sure I agree that we that. at yeah. least concede that mm-hmm. Like okay. no March That's Madness fair, yeah. without the NCAA, which is like maybe not the best example. Mm-hmm. But I don't know they do. That's fair. Like, they host like championships and stuff, tournaments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I agree in football. It, like football is always like the the weird sport though, right? In college, like it's the money maker. It's like the it, it's its own entity. So, it stands to reason that the NCAA would be a little less relevant there specifically. That's fair. I can yeah no, I can see that. I totally well, agree. Actually. Yeah, especially yeah I think. So, like, in my sports hall class, and I guess just in research, I've learned that there are only three sports in all of college football that make any money, and that's men's basketball, women's basketball, and football. And so I think for those sports, they could, like, sort of, I guess, operate autonomously if they wanted to, even though, you know, March Madness is put on with the NCAA. But outside of that, I think something like the NCAA is super necessary for swimming and for track and for all those other equivalent sports as well. I also think it's funny how like the per- the the group I guess that's most responsible for the the current state of college football is probably the Supreme Court just because of all <laughs> the stuff that they've consistently ruled against the NCAA with. Mm-hmm. They broke up the monopoly on TV deals, which created like the whole string of conference realignment. They ruled against the NCAA on NIL, and so now NIL is allowed, which has completely transformed the way the sport functions. So it's interesting that something that like in my mind, college football seems so divorced from, you know the Supreme Court and anything similarly, but it's actually this huge, like, shaping force on what the sport looks like today. Unrelated, 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Mark. Oh, no, you, you can go first. <laughs> I was just going to say, unrelated, I feel like Michigan, after all this, has become exceedingly unlikable. Like, I yeah. used to a little bit pull for Michigan. I used to a little bit pull for Michigan. Um, I don't know. I liked it more than USC of Notre Dame's rivals, but now I think I can't. They've just become so annoying. Like, the free Harbaugh stuff. The, yeah. Like, the talk about him, like, he passed away and stuff like that on the sidelines. The, you know, when he got the suspension, all the players just, like, tweeted out, bet. I don't know. There's just something about <laughs> it where they've, like, <laughs> they've created this culture where it's, like, it's not that tough, you know? And they're just, like, treating it like it's, it's the world against Michigan. They hate us because they're not us. Like, all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, come on. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. They've been. That's they've it. Been, That's my somewhat unrelated point. Okay, go ahead. They've been annoying. Yeah. <laughs> um. Do we think this is a precursor for Harbaugh taking off to the NFL? I actually, I actually don't think so. I think this is a Colin Coward and Joe Clapp discuss this. Actually, you can tell longtime listeners know I listen to Colin Coward a lot, <laughs> but I think. Like Michigan has flag. dug their heels in so much um, that it seems like like why I've never really seen a school be so defiant against uh, mm-hmm. and I mean obviously they did end up conceding all right we'll accept the suspension but they've been like overall like very defiant um, with this penalty but I think the reason but why would you be that defiant against a penalty that's like tarnishing your school's reputation a little bit for a coach that might leave for the NFL you know what I mean in like two mm-hmm. months. So Harbaugh might have told him that he's staying. You know what I mean? And like, it is a pretty good, pretty good job. Uh, I think the grind, from what like people say on like the shows and stuff, the grind of a college football coach is like a little harder in some ways. That you have to be like a CEO and like you have to go recruit. You're all over the country all the time. Mm-hmm. But maybe, maybe that's what Harbaugh likes. So I think I think it's interesting. I don't think he's leaving for the NFL this season. No, I don't either. I think that. I don't know. In some ways, it's like strengthened him to sort of like stand in the face of the NCAA, and there's this this sort of unlike dying loyalty that's been created between like Michigan fans and the program and him. And so I think to leave that so early would be, I don't know, a little unexpected to me. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I I think if they were doing worse this year, I would be more inclined to say because he 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 just seems kind of fickle to me. I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. completely unfounded. Uh, but like especially like if they make the playoff again, I th- I think he wants he wants to get that ship right, and so maybe it won't happen this year. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, so if they were like five hundred right now, I would say he might peace out because it's like not worth his time. But anyway, For sure. I actually I actually have one more thing. I think I think it is possible that we would see a power struggle later on between the schools and conferences, at least from like some of the truly big brands. Like, I think some example of this, like, Texas creating their own Longhorn network, for example, because they wanted, like, a little mm-hmm. bit more tighter control. Florida State this year, I haven't really followed it this much, but they've been threatening to leave the ACC for a long time. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's kind of uh, quieted down a little bit, but they've been threatening that sort of stuff. I think some big brands potentially could, like, maybe flirt with independence um, sort of thing. But most schools... I think like having a conference so that they can mooch off of the schools that are doing well and still get that TV revenue. Right. Like Rutgers is not Mm. proportionally pulling in as much value to the conference (laughs) as Ohio state and Michigan are, but they all get paid the same or or roughly, I guess I think there's probably some nuance in there. Roughly the same though. Right. 
And I think Notre Dame could like kind of watch this and be like, dang, this conference is like telling, is going to try to tell us that like we can't have our coach on the sidelines. Let's just stay independent sort of thing. You know what I mean? I think there's like some sort of things where it's like, why do we do, why do we need to join a conference just for them to like, yeah, I don't know, push us around or whatever. But I think that's like an interesting thing to, I think overall, like the conferences do make a little bit more sense than the struggle between the NCAA and schools, but. I wouldn't be so, I wouldn't be shocked if in like the next twenty years we saw like two or three more big brands become independents. I wouldn't be completely shocked. That's an interesting point that we didn't just talk about though. Like, isn't that that's another mm-hmm. reason why the NCAA is worth keeping? It seems right because otherwise, mm-hmm. who polices the the Notre Dames of the mm-hmm. football world? That's fair, yeah. actually. A college football committee or something. I don't know. Yeah, or not committee, but like some yeah. <laughs> just another way to say NCAA. <laughs> <laughs> But like something, the NCAA like just clearly proves it doesn't know doesn't know how to do it quickly enough. So mm-hmm. I don't know. They they just need to revamp everything. But. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now we're gonna we're gonna continue talking about the Big Ten. We're gonna jump over mm-hmm. to Penn State, or should I say Penn late? It's not even doesn't even really make sense. But <laughs> Penn State has won just once in their past fourteen top ten matchups. That's terrible. So Lucas, let's throw it to you. Uh, can we finally settle the debate that Penn State does not belong in the discussion with Ohio State, Michigan, and even maybe Notre Dame? And how would you rank those four schools' programs? I think, yes, we can definitively prove that Penn State does not rank among the caliber, I guess, of these programs. Um, so going in, I guess my priors were that Ohio State was a clear number one, Michigan was a clear number two, Notre Dame was a clear number three, and Penn State was a clear number four. And for the most part, I think that that was confirmed. But Notre Dame and Michigan are actually nearly identical in a way that I don't think I realized going in. And I think for all the talk of Harbaugh and Michigan in their back and they beat Ohio State, if you look at, I guess, the stats that most most matter, they're pretty similar. But I'll start, I guess, with Ohio State and how they stand like clearly above the other four. So I looked at teams in the college football playoff era, which is 2014 through the present. So essentially the last 10 seasons, which I think is sort of a fair barometer for looking at you know, the current state of these programs or their their state over the, the modern era, um, if you want to call it that. So Ohio State has one national title in 2014, five college football playoff appearances, which is third after Alabama and Clemson. Uh, they have four major bowl wins, not including the playoffs. So if you take out the playoff bowl wins, they still have four major bowl wins in those years when they didn't make the playoffs, so New York Six Bowl games. And their record over those 10 years is 115 and 13. So they've won 89.84% of their games, which is ridiculous. It got to the point where I, where I was adding up the wins, where I had to add up the wins to the calculator, but I could add up the losses just quick. <laughs> there were so yeah. few of them. Um, and then look at Michigan and Notre Dame. So I don't know why in my mind, uh, maybe it's just the pessimism of being a Notre Dame fan. Um, I had sort of been like, okay, they're clearly over the last decade a step below Michigan, but that's not true. So they both have no titles, Notre Dame and Michigan. They both have two college football playoff appearances, although that'll probably be broken this year with Michigan, unless something crazy happens, which might break the tie. But Michigan and Notre Dame both have no New Year's Six Bowl wins over the last 10 years as well, which is something that surprises me as well. That sort of big game letdown, they're both the same. They've lost multiple New Year's Six games, both of them, and they've both lost in their only two college football playoff appearances in the semifinals, which is interesting. And in terms of winning percentage, they're nearly identical. So Notre Dame is 89-31. and 31. Uh, which is 68.4% winning percentage. And Michigan is 90 and 32, which is 68.18. So, again, mm. nearly identical. So, 
in an odd way, I think that they're... And then I guess I'll get to Penn State and talk about it as a whole. Not only do they have big letdowns in, um, you know, their top 10 matchups, they can't be good teams. I think that it reflects in other ways. No titles, but they also have no college football playoff appearances. Their winning percentage is significantly below the other two. They're 87 and 38 over the last 10 years, which is winning about 60% of their games. Uh, so about 8 percentage points lower than Notre Dame and Michigan. And the only stat where they have sort of an advantage is major bowl wins. So they've won three New Year's Six Bowl games over the last 10 years. But at the end of the day, I think that matters way less in determining the quality of a program than all of those other statistics does. Um, so I think their lack of wins against good teams, no college football playoff appearances, a worse overall record. And at least, you know, Notre Dame hasn't been great against good teams over the last decade. But they have some marquee wins. You think about Clemson in 2020 being especially a notable one when Clemson was ranked number one. Penn State doesn't have anything approaching that level. So I think among those four teams, Ohio State's a clear number one. Michigan and Notre Dame are sort of right there in the, in the second tier. Though I think Michigan could easily break that tie this year if they make the playoff, if they win the championship, etc. Um, and then Penn State is clearly the bottom tier. Yeah. Okay. That was that was my takeaway as well. Is that it? It's Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, Penn State. I guess, yeah. If if Michigan does well, it'll be more clear-cut number two this year. But, yeah, that's interesting that they are so similar over the past 10 years, though. I didn't expect that. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that's impressive, too, which shows that, like, Notre Dame and Penn State don't have the same ex- – don't have really an excuse – is that Michigan is doing this without pulling in the same of recruiting classes that Ohio State does. Like, if you look over the last four recruiting classes, which probably should compose, like, the bulk of those rosters, uh, Michigan has never out-recruited Ohio State. But still, they've been able to beat them for two years in a row and potentially a third this year. We'll see. Um, And they recruit at, like, a similar or below level of Notre Dame, to be honest. Um, And sometimes Penn State out-recruits Michigan. So they all are playing with about the same caliber caliber of players. And Jim Harbaugh is just putting them in better positions or getting – or that coaching staff in general or stealing signs or whatever it is you can attribute that to <laughs> is just doing better with the players they have. So it, it kind of shows that like Notre Dame doesn't really have an excuse to not be having the same success as Michigan has. Maybe you could use the academic standards whatever, but I don't think so. We've already got <laughs> the players. We already have the players though, you know, so it's like – we got the same players that Michigan has, but we're not doing the same with them. Look at Sam Hartman, for example. I mean, like, we, we've destroyed him. <laughs> Which Lucas and I have different opinions on, obviously, but we've talked about last episode. But we did not help him. We did not enhance him, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's... I didn't, I didn't think to look at recruiting rankings. That's... And even, like, the transfer portal, they're not, like, crazy in the transfer portal either, so... Yeah. Looking at those rankings. One set of rankings that I did look at was TV stuff. There's mm-hmm. a, one tweet actually that I saw that I think perfectly encapsulates this for Penn State <laughs> from Brett McMurphy. I just pulled it up. It's uh-huh. they uh they're eight and two, but more people watched their two losses than their eight wins combined. And those two losses yeah. were against Ohio State and Michigan. So like if that tells you anything about which <laughs> which schools people are watching, it's not Penn State out of those three. Notre Dame obviously yeah. doesn't factor into this. But then I looked at like yearly rankings from last year, and it was in fact Ohio State, then Michigan, then Notre Dame, then Penn State as far as viewership goes. So 
also kind of confirm my priors. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because Penn State, I, I saw a tweet too, I forget. I don't have the citation, I guess, like you do, but about how they have, they basically have the same year every single year where they lose to the same two teams and then win the rest of their games. Like, it seems yeah. like year in and year out. They it cannot beat Ohio State and Michigan, but then they beat the Rutgers and the Purdue and the IU and the what Iowa's of the world or whatever. So I don't know. It seems like they're just sort of stuck in like the same sort of holding pattern every year, where it's like they're never really close to good enough to Ohio State or Michigan, um, but then they're just in a class above the rest of the Big Ten, and it's. I guess kind of a weird place to be because you're always living with that hope. I guess in some ways it's similar to being a Notre Dame fan, which you're always living with the hope of something better, but it never really <laughs> pans out. Right? Mm-hmm. Although it is it is worse than Notre Dame because they've never made the playoff. They've never really even been particularly close, I guess. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I, I hope preseason voters stop calming down on, start calming down on Penn State because it's like they were eighth this year. It's like, can we finally uh-huh. establish that they're not... <laughs> They're not that good. Not They're sixty-three nothing win versus UMass means nothing if they can't beat you know whoever Ohio State and Michigan every single year. Yeah. All right. Last but not least, I alluded to this earlier. We're going to do our classic NFL power rankings to round out the episode. Um, yeah, I guess we only have three people, so we're each going to get a few picks in. This will be fun. I'll start. <laughs> um, so last last time Wyatt picked the Ravens at number one. I'm actually going to change it up. I'm going to go with the Eagles here at number one. Um, I, I I think yeah. I remember Aiden was very surprised that they hadn't gone last week, and they went three. They're one right now. I think it's deserved. They're eight and one. They're obviously first in the NFC. They're on a three game win streak, and they didn't even beat bad teams. They beat the Dolphins, Commanders, and Cowboys. Obviously, uh, we had the Cowboys ranked pretty highly, so I think that one is especially impressive. Um, and overall on the season, they're the only ones that are still undefeated against 500 teams. They're 3-0 right now. So that's like, to me, that's always the best indicator of who's going to stand out in the playoffs. Um, they just came off their bye, which is helpful. Jalen Hurts was hurt. They had some other injuries. So hopefully they come off of this bye and they look even better now that they've had some time to heal up. Uh, you know, they have so much talent. Jalen Hurts is playing like an MVP. A.J. Brown is playing like the best receiver in the NFL. Um, if their defense can step it up a little bit, they're going to be really hard to beat in the playoffs. So I'm happy with the Eagles at number one. Me too. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so I'm two. I'm going to say the Chiefs. Um, so the Eagles and Chiefs luckily play each other on Monday. So we'll be able to definitively settle this. But I, I had the Eagles number one thinking that the Eagles will win this game. Like you said, they have beaten, I think, maybe a little bit better caliber of teams. The Chiefs have also beat the Dolphins, probably their best win um, of the season, uh, besides maybe like the Jaguars. Um, but yeah, the Eagles, like, yeah, only have that one loss, which was like a little fluky. They looked pretty good against the Cowboys, I think. And the Chiefs just haven't looked like the same team because they aren't the same team in terms of points per game, um, like that they're scoring on the offense. They do have a much better defense than they have had. Um, but I think it is the Eagles or the Chiefs as the two best teams right now. Um, just based off what we saw from the Ravens in the two weeks since we had our last power rankings. So I'm going to go Chiefs at two. Um, we just alluded to them, Jared. I'm going to go Ravens at three. Uh, even though they did drop that game to the Browns in the end of the round, I still think they've played well enough to be um, one of the top three teams in the NFL. They have a lot of good wins. They beat the Bengals, which I know, you know with the Joe Burrow and injury might not be as much, but 
They've destroyed other good teams. You know, the 37-3 to win against the Seahawks, the 38-6 to win against the Lions, and they've dropped games to good other tough AFC North teams, rivalry teams who know them well, um, and teams who are have well above 500 records, teams like the Browns and the Steelers. The Colts' loss is weird, um, but other than that, they've played really well, and they do have a win against the Browns early in the year, so maybe you can sort of offset the loss uh, last week with that win. They're playing excellent, excellent defense. They're winning large. I, I wouldn't say largely behind the strength of it, but a lot because of it. They're second in overall team defense behind the Cleveland Browns, but their offense is playing really well too. They're also a top ten offense. Lamar seems to be playing really well. So I think for all those reasons, in a really tough AFC North, they're still the favorite, and so they should be number three. Yeah. Uh, did you mention Mark Andrews, Lucas? I'm heartbroken because he's on my fantasy team and he's out for the year. <laughs> That's gonna hurt a little yes, bit. Yes, I did not mention, but yeah, it's, stuff. <laughs> it's fine. Um, okay, so at four, this I don't know that this might be a hot take. I'm gonna go with the 49ers. Um, That's why. Interesting. I, I like. I'll admit, two weeks ago, absolutely, I was low on them because they were coming off of that three loss streak. Uh, but their win against Jacksonville got me back on board. Like, it was not just a win, but it was a massive blowout win on the road against a team that, at that point, I had ranked quite highly. So, like, you just got to respect it. Uh, so, you, we just talked about the Ravens. The 49ers and the Ravens are the two teams that are top five on EPA on both sides of the ball. So, they're just, like, super well-rounded. They got Debo back. They got Trent Williams back. So, their offense is going to be even better now. And then defensively, they were already elite, and then they added Chase Young. <laughs> So their pass yeah. rush now gets even more ferocious. It's kind of terrifying. So, yeah. And then, as I always say, Vegas. Trust Vegas. What does Vegas say about them? Vegas says that they're the second most likely team to win it all right now. So mm. I think the 49ers are, are looking spooky all of a sudden. I'm going to take them at four. Okay. I'm changing my power rankings live, actually. I was going to put the Lions here, but they are losing right now 26-14 to the Bears with three minutes left in their fourth uh-huh. quarter. So I think they're about to lose that game. So instead, who I'm going to go with is the Cowboys. I don't really love the Cowboys, and I kind of don't think – I don't really think any team like under the 49ers – like Eagles, Chiefs, Ravens, 49ers, I don't think any other team is winning the Super Bowl. I think it's one of those four teams probably. But the Cowboys at least look very competitive against the Eagles, and if certain things, certain calls go different ways, maybe they win that game even – and I honestly would would expect that the Cowboys will win the game played in Dallas. Um, but I don't think they're better than the Eagles necessarily, if that makes sense. Like on a neutral field, I still think the Eagles are better. And that's why I have them as number one. Um, but I, I think I would have put the Lions here if they had not, if they hadn't been losing to the Bears right now. Because I think the Lions mm-hmm. have put together a really good season. But the Cowboys, where, where the 49ers dominate really good teams, the Cowboys just dominate really bad teams. Like, Absolutely crush them. I mean, their margin of victory is crazy in those games. So, I mean, they are a good team. And I'll put the Dallas Cowboys here fifth for that. All right. Well, I'll take the team then, Jared, that you were not going to because of their current performance. Because I think teams are entitled to fluky losses. I think a lot of teams across the NFL, even the good ones, have them. And I'll think, I'll attribute this to being the Lions' fluky loss. If you look at the stats overall, they have the second best offense, only behind the Dolphins. Their defense is also top 10, I believe. They've consistently played well all season. They still will only have three losses, which would be, I guess, tied for third in the NFL. I'm impressed with some of their wins. I think that the Chargers is a decent win. I don't know how great they are. The Chiefs, obviously, is an impressive win. Though it does worry me a little bit that when they play 
other even similar-ish level teams, they sometimes struggle or just get destroyed, like when they play the Ravens. Mm-hmm. Um, Goff showed a level of playing not great today in a way he hasn't all year, throwing three interceptions already last I checked. So there, I think there's some signs of concern for the Lions. I think, I don't know, I'm also just a Lions hater. I can't describe why. Um, but I think they've gotten a little bit of too much hype too soon. I think they could in some ways have the energy of the Steelers, I forget when it was a few years back, who won, who started the season like 10-0 and or 11-0 and then crashed out. Um, I don't, I just don't think that they have the it factor a little bit. But that being said, they're going to be 7-3, and top of their division, have a couple of decent wins, including maybe the best win in the NFL over the Chiefs. So mm-hmm. I'll take the Lions at 6. Yeah, this is the trouble with doing live rankings. <laughs> you, you suddenly start questioning everything. <laughs> the Lions did score too, so it's twenty six yeah, twenty one with no, three minutes. <laughs> they might still win. Okay, which so they have, a, they have a chance. Yeah, they might win. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm gonna go with the Dolphins. They are currently winning and seem on track to beat the Raiders, the five and five Raiders. But I guess knock on wood. Um, <laughs> I mean, okay, listen. The, the Dolphins are like the definition of an asterisk team right now. They're like they're six and three, but They've only played three teams over 500, the Chiefs, Bills, and Eagles, and they lost all three of those games. So you have to wonder whether they can beat good teams. In fact, they've had the fifth easiest strength of schedule so far. However, counterpoint, none of the remaining teams are like well-rounded per se. They all have flaws in one way or another. So I'm, I think the Dolphins are a fair pick here. Their offense, I think we talked about this last time, their offense is like absolutely unstoppable. They're first in yards per play, first in yards per drive, and first in points per drive. It's ridiculous. And they got Devon Achan back this week. So it's going to get even better. Um, it's a little concerning how they don't play a quote-unquote great team until they play the Ravens late December. So like we won't really have a barometer for them until then. But still, I think they're 6-3. and three. They're clearly very talented. I'm, I'm taking them here at 7. Okay, cool. At 8, I think I'm going to go with a potentially controversial pick. I'm going with the Texans here at 8, mm. actually. I think if we're doing if we're talking power rankings and who has momentum, the Texans might have more momentum than almost anybody right now. Like the Bengals and Bills dropped off. The Texans beat the Bengals, for example. And the reason I don't have them over a team, or the reason I have them over a team like the Jaguars, is because one, they beat the Jaguars head to head, and I just don't think the Jags are like really that. Like when they play a serious when they played serious competition in like the Chiefs or 49ers, they don't hold up. Which Texans have a little bit more evidence that they have. Like like I said, they beat the Jags. Beat the, they beat the Steelers. They beat the Bengals. Like, they've beaten good teams. They haven't beat the Ravens. And they lost... And a lot of their losses, honestly, are just to bad teams where it's like, I think I kind of want to reward good wins over losses to bad teams. Kind of what you did yep. with the Lions, actually, Lucas. Um, so I'm going to go with the Texans here, which is, might be a weird pick, but at eight. No, I, I don't think that's weird. I had them at nine. Uh, okay. Yeah, I did them at nine as well. So, all right, I might go with a, a controversial one as well. I'll keep the Jags sliding, and I'm gonna pick the Vikings at nine. Ooh, yeah. Okay. The, Let's the, go. The, the, I mean, Jared alluded to this a little bit too, but the Jags are, I think, really outperforming their metrics. They're they don't have a top half offense or defense at this point. So that like, to me, that's always like obviously there's some wiggle room between statistics and performance. It's never a perfect thing, but. The Jags just seem to be really outperforming their metrics, whereas the Vikings, you know, are doing pretty well. They're, I think, right outside the top 10 in offense, and they have a better defense than teams that we ranked high on this list. Teams like the Eagles, um, and, well, I guess just the Eagles. They have a better defense than the Eagles, which is impressive. <laughs> um, 
And they have wins against good teams. Uh, they beat the mm-hmm. 49ers, who I think are a pretty good team. Um, I guess their early season losses are a little bit like explainable, too. I think that the Eagles, obviously, number one on our list. The Chiefs, number two on our list. I, I think you can chalk those both up to just playing excellent teams. You know, the early season fluky losses they had with the Bucks um, and the Chargers, I think, a little bit. But overall, they're playing really well. They're doing really well offensively and defensively, statistically, at least compared to a lot of teams on this list. And they have a lot of momentum. Um, so I think when looking between the Vikings and the Jags, um, I think the Vikings are a more solid team overall, whereas the Jags seem to be performing well in spite of their actual statistical performance. I didn't consider the Steelers, too, but... They've been outgained in every single game this season. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Despite being six and three. That is actually crazy. They're way what? worse than the record shows, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this this Vikes Broncos game tonight is gonna be a great barometer because the Broncos are like kinda hot all of a sudden. They beat the Chiefs and the Bills back to back. So yeah. Yeah. we'll see. Um Okay, I'm actually. We've talked a lot about the Jags. I'm gonna let the Jags continue sliding here. We have. I don't think we've mentioned this team. I'm going with the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. Uh, and that's despite the fact that Deshaun Watson is out for the season. I don't care. <laughs> let me tell you why <laughs> I don't care. Because even with Deshaun Watson, their offense was not very good. <laughs> so like, how much of a step down are you gonna have with um, mm-hmm. Donovan Jones or whatever his name is? Right, they were they were sixth worst in EPA and third worst in yards per play. Deshaun Watson threw seven touchdowns against four picks this year. Yikes! Are they are they really going to miss him that much? Yeah. The yeah, reason they yeah. are so good and the reason why I'm happy to pick them is because their defense is absolutely crazy good. It's so good. It's like I think top two defense in the league, and I don't really think you can argue for anything lower than that. And Miles Garrett especially is like, he's playing like a man possessed this year. So so good. So. <laughs> Yeah, I just I think the the Browns defense has carried them to six and three, and it will continue to carry them. And I like I I think they are actually better than some of these other six and three teams. Um, they have an easy-ish remaining schedule as well, which is nice because that always makes it seem like I'm correct if they keep winning. We'll see though. Obviously, I think yeah they're tied with the Steelers right now, so we'll see if they can pull that one out. But yeah, I I, I just like what the Browns defense is doing so much that. I'm going to take them here instead of the Jags or the Steelers. Dang, yeah. Yeah. yeah to, totally fair. To underscore what you guys were saying about the Jaguars, like they have they have two wins against the Colts. They have a win against the Falcons. You know, like it's their lot and their losses are like 49ers, Texans, and Chiefs. So basically, basically the three best teams they've played, they lost to. So I don't, yeah, I don't really like that. Bills, the Bills is probably their best win, but the Bills have been sliding this year. The Broncos just beat them. Mm-hmm. So, like, how good are the Bills? I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I picked the Bills at, like, was it seven? Somewhere around there last week? Kind of high last week. Yeah, kind of high last episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was fine with that a lot two weeks ago. Or whenever it was, yeah. two, three weeks ago. Now, not so much. Uh, I'm rooting for the Bills in some respect because... Nick Wright is their biggest hater, and I'm Nick Wright's biggest hater when it comes to NFL <laughs> takes. So yeah, I want to in annoying. some ways just, yeah. I don't. So, is he from yeah. Kansas City, or did he just jump on the Chiefs bandwagon and, and like he's just so unapolog- unapologetically like a a chief apologist, <laughs> basically? Like, yeah, he he's from Kansas City. Okay, that makes sense. Well, that sucks then because he's just gonna be banging that drum for as long as Patrick Mahomes <laughs> is there, and they're gonna be good, bro. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. 
We'll see. I love his basketball stuff. I just have him muted during football season on Twitter because I can't <laughs> deal with it. Anyway, um, you know who you should never mute? Us, this podcast. We put out great content all the time that you'll never find objectionable. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Amazon Music, wherever you find your podcasts. And make sure you're tuning in next week. We'll see you then.